Hello, it's Bria, Katie, and Lawton from the Office of Student Life and Leadership. Welcome to another episode of Heal Talks. This podcast is dedicated to providing you with leadership development and civic engagement content through honest conversations and storytelling from UNC students, staff, faculty, and community members. We believe that leadership is a learned process, so thank you for taking the time to learn with us. With that being said, let's get into the episode. All right, everyone. So welcome back to another civic engagement related episode of Heal Talks. Um, I'm Lot Nye. It's great to have you back again this week. So we have two really exciting guests with us today. Um, we have Dr. June Atkinson, who um, until very recently served as the superintendent of public instruction in North Carolina um, and is a great authority on all things education policy in North Carolina and the perfect person to talk about council state elections. So um, really excited to have her with us. And we also have um, Justice Bob Orr, um, who's a retired North Carolina Supreme Court Justice, um, prides himself on being the, the first Republican to win a um, state, statewide judicial race in North Carolina. I'm sure he'll tell you more about that. Um, and also um, someone who's been very involved in, in all sorts of um, constitutional questions in North Carolina um, and even argued a, a case that went before the Supreme Court um, last year, I believe, right? Um, so it'd be great if both of y'all could provide just a, a quick introduction to yourself and um, of course give more background than I did in that that introduction right there and then um, we'll get into a few questions about what people should be thinking about especially students as they go to the polls to um, vote for everything on the ballot not just what you think about when it comes to um, president and governor and, and senate things like that so uh, Dr. Atkinson do you want to go first? Okay well good morning to everyone uh, I'm June Atkinson and I had the privilege of serving the 1.6 million children in our state and our over 100,000 educators as state superintendent of public instruction for uh, 12 years. Um, currently, I am a professor of practice at North Carolina State University, and I'm serving as a CEO of a startup company called Emerald Education. And my running for state superintendent was the first time that I had ever uh, entered the political, uh, apolitical race. And that was quite an experience and now recognize how important it is for people to vote down ballot. Uh, That's a really important part of our civic duty in North Carolina. Uh, And Justice Orr, do you wanna give a little introduction to yourself as well? Yeah, sure Lawton, it's uh, great to join you in uh, in June in this uh, uh, conversation and I, I'm, I'm sitting here, of course, people can't see me. I've got my Carolina blue shirt on. I'm a, I'm a double Tar Heel, both undergrad and law school. Uh, and June and I had the pleasure of being uh, fellows for the Institute of Politics a year or so ago, uh, and which, was, which was great fun. Uh, ever since 1868, uh, when the Reconstruction Constitution was passed, we have elected Council of State members uh, which includes the superintendent of public instruction. And June, you ran three statewide elections? Uh, four. 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 Uh, and we also, since 1868, have elected judges. Uh, and uh, I ran five statewide judicial races. So uh, between June and me, we, we can we can tell your listeners about the 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 joys and the travails of of statewide elections uh, in what's called down ballot races, um, and there all of the positions, whether on the council of state or in the 
judiciary are, are critically important to the governance of the state, but unfortunately, as I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, there's not a lot of information out there for the voters, uh, not a lot of money for the candidates to try and inform and educate voters. Uh, and uh, it's a real challenge, but an important uh, opportunity for your listeners uh, to learn about these candidates and make informed choices uh, for them. Great, and that's a good kickoff to um, talk kind of in more detail about these elections. I think, why don't we go ahead and, and first just provide some context around, um, especially on the Council of State side, what are all the elected positions there? And like, who, like, who should voters be expecting to get asked about when they, when they go to the polls? June, do you wanna kind of walk us through yes. all that? Well, as state superintendent, every Tuesday, every first Tuesday in every month, I attended the Council of State meeting. And this meeting uh, comprised the Council of State members, including the governor, the lieutenant governor, state auditor, uh, commissioner of agriculture, commissioner of labor, attorney general, the treasurer, secretary of state. And if I left out uh, anyone, Bob? <laughs> I, I think that's it. I'm, I'm cheating and looking at the list <laughs> as, you're, as you're talking. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I think I think you caught them all. And the test for your listeners is to name the incumbent in each of those positions, which I dare say 99% of the voters of North Carolina could not. So. And I believe uh, when you talk about the incumbents, um, the, the state auditor, the secretary of state, the attorney general, the secretary of agriculture, and the treasure, state treasurer are all running for, again, for their seats. And you heard Bob mention the, uh, the Constitution. I guess one of the reasons why we, unlike other states, have such an extensive Council of State is I guess there's been a traditional distrust of putting too much power in the hands of the governor. And so consequently, the Council of State members really uh, are a part of running state government to make sure that it works for the people of North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, Lawton, I think it's really interesting in, in, in following up on what Gene says, that these are constitutional positions. They're created by the Constitution of North Carolina. Uh, interesting, with, with a few exceptions though, the specific duties are left to the General Assembly to prescribe, which is uh, resulted in a lot of litigation over the years, uh, controversies about uh, about the powers and, and duties of these constitutional officers. And there have been efforts over the years to reduce the number of statewide elected officials, uh, you know, to shorten the ballot. Uh, and, and so uh, there's been a resistance on the part of voters they, they may say, well, I got no clue who they are, but I want a right to vote for them. So uh, the, it would take a constitutional amendment to eliminate any of those positions uh, from elective and change them to appointed. I know we have a good example in South Carolina. Last election, South Carolina had on the ballot to elect, I mean, to appoint the state superintendent rather than elect the state superintendent and uh, that amendment was overwhelmingly defeated. So I think that attests to what Bob has said about North Carolinians wanting to vote for these people, even though they may not know 
what the person does or uh, the persons who are running for those offices. Yeah, and I guess on top of doing their like day-to-day duties running a given department, like for you, the um, Department of Public Instruction, uh, they also have this like check on the governor, right, where the Council of State has to approve different types of decisions that um, the state's making? Is that right? Yes. Uh, typically, the decisions made by the Council of State include those of buying and selling and leasing property in North Carolina. And if, for example, parks, if someone... Um, contributes a park or donates land, then the Council of State would have to approve that. The The work of the Council of State is fairly routine. Uh, at one time, when I first started serving, our meetings would last for about two hours. But then toward the end uh, of the last term, our meetings probably did not last more than a half an hour. Yeah, I, I would say, Lawton, that as, as an as an overall entity, the Council of State has fairly limited powers, although they, they do have a check on some of the governor's emergency powers. And in fact, there's been recent litigation about whether the, uh, the governor had the authority to impose certain restrictions because of uh, the COVID-19 circumstances. Uh, without the, the approval of the Council of State. So uh, in, in, the, in the scope of the overall collective responsibility, I would say it's fairly narrow, but when you get into the individual responsibilities of each of the particular positions, I mean, it's, it's tremendously expansive. I mean, June's responsibility as superintendent of public instruction was in essence running the day-to-day operation of the public school systems in North Carolina and working with the State Board of Education. The Attorney General represents the state in uh, all sorts of litigation. Um, you know, you go down down the list, the State Treasurer uh, runs the pension system, you know, manages literally billions of dollars. So, uh, I mean, they're, they're extraordinary uh, responsibilities and powers that come with each of these individual positions. Uh, but collectively as a council of state, I'm not sure, you know, they have a great, great deal of authority. Uh, I know uh, in particular, uh, following up with what Bob said, anytime we were about to have a hurricane in North Carolina, the council of state members would receive a call um, asking if we would give authority trucks so that it, in case of damage, we would people would be able to bring in big trucks to get rid of the damage. So that's that's just an example of the exercising of of power or authority with the governor. Great. And so I think um, kind of in addition to these council of state elections, on the at the top of the podcast, we also mentioned all the judicial elections. So Justice Orr, do you want to give us some background on who all is on the ballot on that side of things, um, what we're going to see on Supreme Court, but also appellate and, and local courts too, and district courts? Yeah, actually, the statewide elections are for members of the North Carolina Supreme Court. There are seven members, uh, one of whom is the Chief Justice. That position is elected separately. Uh, in this particular election cycle, three members are, are up, or there are three seats up. Uh, the incumbent Chief Justice is Sherry Beasley. She was appointed by Governor Cooper. She has to run at this election. Uh, she is being challenged by the senior Associate Justice, uh, Paul Newby, who is uh, the Republican candidate for Chief Justice. 
you then have uh, Justice Mark Davis, who was appointed by Governor Cooper to fill a vacancy on the court. And he is being challenged by former state Senator Tamara Beringer. And then the seat that Justice Newby currently occupies uh, will be vacant because he's running for Chief Justice. And so there are two uh, Court of Appeals judges running for that seat. Uh, Judge Lucy Inman is the Democrat nominee and uh, Judge Phil Berger Jr. is the Republican nominee. Uh, obviously, the Supreme Court's the state's highest court, final say on interpreting the state constitution. Uh, the Chief Justice has substantial authority in, in making a range of appointments and is essentially responsible for running the judicial system uh, across the state through the administrative office of the courts. So very important decision um, for voters uh, for in that position, for that position, Chief Justice, uh, but also for um, you know the two associate justices. Up until the 1980s, you didn't have to be a lawyer to run for this uh, for a judge. And in one of the more infamous uh, elections, uh, Chief Justice Susie Sharp, who was the longtime uh, incumbent, was was challenged by a fire extinguisher salesman, <laughs> and, who actually got 45 percent of the vote. Uh, and so that prompted uh, the leadership of the state and of the bar. Uh, to put a constitutional amendment uh, on the ballot that says you at least have to have a law license in order to be be a member of the court. Uh, the second set of races are on the North Carolina Court of Appeals, which is the intermediate appellate court for the state. There are 15 members total. It has a um, uh, probably the biggest workload. It's certainly more cases than the uh, state Supreme Court. The judges sit in panels of three. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's important. It's an important work, but uh, it's pretty easy to be, uh, shall we say, overlooked in the greater scheme of, uh, of elections. And I'm going to actually have to uh, look at my cheat sheet here and uh, to tell you uh, who the players are. Um, for the Court of Appeals, you have Chris Brooke, who uh, was an appointee to a vacancy by Governor Cooper. He's uh, the Democrat nominee. Um, he's challenged by uh, Judge Jefferson Griffin, who's a district court judge here in Wake County. He's the Republican nominee. Uh, then there is an open seat. Uh, it's listed as seat four between Tricia Shields, who uh, a longtime practitioner, um, uh, in the Raleigh area. She actually was a law clerk when I was on the Court of Appeals. Uh, and she's the Democrat nominee challenged by April Wood, who is a Republican. And I think she is a district court judge. I'm honestly not 100% sure. There's a, uh, a second open seat uh, in which Laura Christine Cubbage is the Democrat nominee and Fred Gore is the Republican. Uh, then uh, in Republican incumbent Chris Dillon is running for his second term. He's challenged by Raleigh lawyer Grace Styers. And then the last seat, uh, uh, Reuben Young is, Judge Reuben Young is on the Court of Appeals. He was a 
uh, Governor Cooper's nominee to a vacancy, uh, and he's running against Jeff Carpenter, uh, who is a Superior Court judge, who is a Republican. Um, I, I will say the good news out of all of these candidates, I think they're all well qualified, which is which is good news. Um, but it's uh, it's a challenge for voters. It's a challenge for those of us who are lawyers and have been judges to really, you know, get an uh, a comprehensive view of the qualifications and decide who should I vote for. So uh, your listeners are going to have to do a little research. Well, at a minimum, I'm glad there's no uh, fire extinguisher salesman on the ballot for <laughs> yeah. judge this yeah, year. That, but that's, that's good news. Well, if, you know, <laughs> year, up, until the, up until the 1980s, the superior court judges were all elected statewide. So, I mean, there have been times, I can remember 1982, there were probably 60 judges on the ballot. 60 judicial races on the statewide ballot. Fortunately, that's been changed. And I, I think both of y'all spoke to this a little bit, but as someone who's having to run statewide, but under the shadow of a lot of these folks <laughs> that have much larger campaigns, are getting much more media attention, how are you really able to get your message out and show voters how you're different from the other candidates? I think either one of y'all are welcome to, to start with this one. Well, yeah. traditionally, before COVID-19, uh, candidates would travel all over the state and where two or three were gathered together, the candidates would be uh, to pitch why they should be elected for a particular office. Uh, currently, I believe that the candidates are using social media, Facebook, Twitter, and using uh, robocalls and other ways to uh, get to the candidates, I mean, get to the public. They're also using Zoom meetings, so it's a, it's a change in the way people uh, campaign with COVID-19 as compared to the way it had been in the past. Yeah, yeah it, it, it will be interesting to see how effective using social media as, a, as the primary campaign tool uh, actually works because as June and I well know, this is a really big state. And, you know, you can spend 24-7 shaking hands and driving back and forth and eating barbecue and, you know, fried fish or whatever else they're serving. But you can only legitimately touch a small percentage of the electorate through right. your actual campaigning. And I, I, I don't know about June, but the most money I ever raised for a statewide race was maybe $200,000. Well, I mean, that's not even enough money for a competitive legislative race. Um, you know, so you, you don't have the resources to, you know, to buy a bunch of advertising, to have a big campaign staff. And what I found in the judicial races, I tried to rely on endorsements, you know, group endorsements, newspaper endorsements, to a certain extent, individual endorsements, uh, because invariably I would get, calls from people saying, I don't know any of these judges, who should I vote for? You know, so my endorsement, you know, would, would move a certain votes. And that's the same way for organizations. And I tried uh, very diligently to have a grassroots effort where I had uh, someone in each county in North Carolina who would, uh, who would say to friends and family, um, please vote for June Atkinson. Uh, I was fortunate the first time I ran to have a little slogan that stuck, and that was vote for June and July. And even 12 years later, I run into people who say, oh, you were a vote for June and July. So uh, it is difficult. I was fortunate to be a part of public financing. So 
for two of the races, I was able to get public financing. I had to get a, a minimum of a $10 contribution from a, a th about a thousand people in North Carolina. And once I met that threshold and they were voters, voters in North Carolina, then I was eligible to get money to run the campaign. But regardless, there's never enough money to run political ads on TV. Uh, so you have to rely on other means of getting your message. And that's why it's really important for the public to learn about these candidates. And you can go to UNC uh, Voter Guide as one of the places to get information about the candidates. And the Council of State members really do touch our lives. Uh, Sheree Berry, who's Commissioner of Labor and is not running, is known as the elevator woman. You know, her picture is in every elevator in North Carolina. That was a great public uh, uh, relations move on her part, but the Department of Labor is responsible for uh, inspecting elevators and making sure that our workers are safe. I'm sure Judge Orr has a controversial take on whether that was a good use of state resources. <laughs> well, all, in, all incumbents, you know, try to take advantage of the position, not improperly, but, uh, you know, putting the Secretary of Labor's picture in every elevator, you know, I mean, there's certainly nothing ethically wrong with it. It, is, it was a very, very smart deal, but, but, you know, and I see, pictures of the state treasurer and every uh, notice about uh, health benefits for state workers. Uh, you know, the attorney general, the incumbents, particularly in a, in, a, in a low information, low money race, have a huge advantage because from their position as elected officials, you know, they, they get a certain amount of free publicity. Uh, although I think invariably, uh, we think that they're better known than they actually are. I thought some, I think a poll showed early on that uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Dan Forrest, who had been in office for eight years, I mean, had like a 40% name recognition. And I, I know both of y'all heard my story of having been reelected to the Supreme Court and was introduced to a, the new security guard at the court. He said he voted for me, but didn't know anything about me. And I thanked him anyway, and he says, but I'm from Massachusetts, and Bobby Orr was the greatest hockey player that ever lived. So, you know, having a familiar name or a, or a, a normal name is an advantage, and we found in judicial races that the female candidates tended to run better than the male candidates, you know, because they're more women voters, and if they didn't know, uh, either of the candidates, there was this tendency, well, I'm going to make this a gender vote. So, which is fine, June. <laughs> but June was always well qualified. It wasn't a gender vote in her case. But, but, I mean, so, you know, so you have all of these sort of funky reasons that people vote when they don't know anything about the candidates, but it doesn't guarantee that you're going to get you know, the best qualified person elected. I mean, you take, and June can address this, there's no requirement to be superintendent of public instruction to have any educational experience, you know, as a teacher or as a administrator in school systems. I mean, you know, you know, you can be an auto mechanic and say, well, that sounds like an interesting job. I think I'll run for that. You know, it's not inconceivable you could win. 
and I think history tells us that having good experience in the field um, does help one to be a more competent uh, public official. And I think of people from both parties who've been elected without experience typically have not done as well for the people of North Carolina uh, as those who have had that experience in that area. So I would encourage people as they look at the, the voter guides to look at the experience and see if it is related to that particular office. Uh, for example, the state auditor. To me, it's really important for that person to have auditing and accounting experience, perhaps to even be a CPA. The, I believe the Constitution or the state statute does require the attorney general to be an attorney, but he, I mean, or he or she to be an attorney, but that's not the case of the others. Um, so you have the Secretary of State, uh, the person who provides the infrastructure for businesses in North Carolina. We, we, pay that someone had experience in the legal field and, and in business to be Secretary of State, uh, Commissioner of Agriculture. All of us, or many of us, enjoy the state fair and the mountain fair. Yeah. Well, and that person, every time we go to the gas station, someone, uh, we are touched by the Department of Agriculture. Choosing someone to be the Secretary, I mean, the Commissioner of Agriculture, need some experience in agriculture in our state. So the list goes on. You could, the treasurer, someone who understands business and investments. I have a personal stake in who is elected <laughs> treasurer because that person manages my retirement and that of Bob's retirement. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so I mean, and, I mean, they really are important, important jobs. And it's, it's so difficult. I mean, what do we have? Six and a half million registered voters now in North yes. Carolina. Uh, yeah, almost close to seven. So you think about if you don't have a multi-million dollar advertising budget, and even then, you know, they're, they're 30 second blips and the, the like. Uh, we, we, it's really hard to get your message out. Uh, one of my concerns in the judicial races, and this goes to, a, I think, a shared concern that June and I have, is the influence of third party out of state money coming in uh, and attempting to influence uh, elections in North Carolina, uh, particularly on the Supreme Court. And that's tied almost exclusively to the, uh, the role that the state Supreme Court has in reviewing redistricting cases uh, if the challenges involve the North Carolina Constitution. So, I mean, and we've seen some of that. When I was running, you know, there was never any outside money. But as redistricting has, has become such a uh, controversial uh, and partisan uh, battle, the, the idea of, well, we want to put our folks in on the Supreme Court because they're going to be reviewing the legislative districts or potentially reviewing them, um, you know, has, has started taking place. And it, and it really is, it's bad government. You know, it's which one, you know, one reason why I think redistricting reform, independent redistricting would take some of the pressure off the, the state Supreme Court. So we, we'd stop seeing these, um, the, you know, outside money. But I mean, Gene, do you see any outside money that come into Council of State races? Um, no, it's rare. Uh, I was just thinking of one Council of State uh, seat I forgot to mention in the beginning, and that is the Commissioner of Insurance. 
Mm-hmm. And when you think of regulation of our car insurance, our homeowners uh, insurance, our life insurance, um, having a, an excellent commissioner of, of insurance is really important to North Carolina as well. Yep. Uh, one thing I heard the other day was that when you look at down ballot races, you see a 5% drop in voting compared to the governor and the presidential race. And that 5% can elect or defeat someone running for council estate. Uh, and there are many examples of where that has happened. Yeah, one, one, of, the, one of the big changes when the Republicans took over the legislature uh, was they did away with straight ticket voting. Uh, you know, for years, uh, particularly when the Democrats controlled the state, uh, there was a circle at the top for Democrat, circle at the top for Republican, then the individual races. And if you didn't want to bother to go through and select each one, you hit that straight party uh, uh, block, and then every Democrat or every Republican got the vote. When that was done away with, it put more responsibility, I would say, on the voters to go race by race. And as June says, you know, a lot of them, you know, start getting down into these council of state and judicial races, and they're saying, I got no clue who to vote for. So they just stop. And, you know, so there is this fairly significant drop off um, as you go down. And, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't encourage people to vote for, you know, irresponsible reasons, but, you know, that's part of the part of the challenge of becoming informed about who these candidates are. So you can complete the ballot all the way down. Yeah, and everyone can go to the State Board of Elections and look up the sample ballot for their precinct to be able to figure out who all these state right ways um, candidates are, but also the um, district court, superior court judges, um, your soil and water conservation folks, and your county commissioners that are on the ballot. Um, and definitely worth kind of going and doing some research on that um, before you step into the, the booth. I think we are almost out of time here, but it'd be great to get y'all's take on what the kind of best resources people should be looking towards to getting information on the candidates y'all been talking about um, and any tips they should have on um, addition to what you said earlier about evaluating their experience and making a really informed decision. You want to go first, Bob? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think the, you know, the, the newspapers attempt to do voter guides, there's civic groups or, or even partisan groups that will provide information about their candidates. You know, you, you have to look and see, is it a, is it an independent evaluation or is this sort of one-sided, you know, because of the party or the candidate put, putting it out there? You know, I mean, I, I think there, there are resources where you can get basic information. If you did, did nothing more than Google the, uh, the name of the candidate, you're going to get all sorts of information, uh, some of it accurate, some of it not. But uh, my, my civics teacher way back in ninth grade always said, voting isn't a right, it's a responsibility. And so, and I believe it's a responsibility, but it's also a, respons- a responsibility to make an informed choice. And, and so I would simply encourage all of your smart listeners to, to take advantage of their, uh, their technological skills and get some information on these candidates. Well, I agree with Bob. 
And I would suggest if you don't know anything about that particular race, then you find out what that department does by Googling the department. Uh, most of uh, uh, the departments have a list of what that department does. And if you have a particular organization you think gives good information, be sure to check with them. But I would encourage people to check at least two uh, resources as they make up their minds about people um, to elect in our state. And I, we cannot say enough that it is a responsibility to vote and it's responsibility to be informed. And if you can make your list and you can take it with you to the ballot uh, box or to elections, and if you forget, then you can always refer to your list. So it's important to people who will move North Carolina forward. And there are many good candidates running and we should give them our support. Well, and I would, I would add just, uh, uh, with so many people using absentee ballots in this election cycle, I mean, you got a per, you, you've got your ballot right there in front of you. And I dare say most people are going to have a computer. So you really have no excuse and you got no time pressure. So it's not like you're in the ballot box at the precinct and people are waiting in line to vote. You got all the time in the world to make an informed choice. And uh, this is an extraordinarily important election. All elections are important. This one may be more so than most, but we have no excuse not to make an informed vote. Absolutely. We'll leave it at that. That is some great advice to end it on. So always great to talk with y'all. Thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, yeah, Lawton, thanks for doing this. It's thank great. you, Lawton. Check back in with us next time for more leadership conversations with our engaging and inspiring guests. Be sure to like, comment, and share Heel Talks wherever you're listening. We'll catch you next time. Peace.